0: Welcome to the Do Good Radio Hour with Bluegrass Community Foundation. Here at Bluegrass Community Foundation, we believe doing good inspires good. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The intention behind the show is to encourage you by sharing the undeniable good happening within our community. Tune into the Do Good Radio Hour every Monday at 2 PM to hear about the good that is the heartbeat of our community and how you can get more involved. The Do Good Radio Hour is about to enter into a new season starting with this episode because the Good Giving Challenge is finally here. If you don't know what that is, the Good Giving Challenge is an annual week-long online giving event that rallies the community in support of our local nonprofits. And this year, 2021, is the 11th annual Good Giving Challenge, which will kick off on Giving Tuesday, November 30th, and run through Monday, December 6th. This is our biggest year ever with 179 nonprofits who are participating. So we want you to come out and show your support at bggives.org and then mark your calendars for Giving Tuesday so you can get ready to give. So for the next upcoming episodes, we are going to interview several nonprofits who are involved with the Good Giving Challenge and just allow them to share their stories. So stay tuned and continue listening because we have four awesome nonprofits on this episode who are ready to share about the life-changing work that they are doing in our community. Stay tuned. I am here with Lindy Franklin-Smith, co-founder and artistic director of the Lexington Theatre Company. And she is here to share with us about how they are making the art scene come alive in our community. And as a theater lover myself, I am excited to hear some insight into the Lex. So welcome, Lindy.
1: Oh. Thank you so much, Keaton. It is so nice to be here. I'm so excited to share this chat with you today.
0: Me too. So let's just jump right into it. Tell us more about the mission of the Lex and how that comes to life through your programming.
1: Absolutely. Well, here at the Lex, we have a really special mission in that there's a couple of parts to it. We create professional theater, and at the same time, we also are training the next generation of theater artists. And the end goal is so that our community can enjoy a shared experience of masterful storytelling. So education is really central to what we do, but we're also training those artists to operate on a professional level. What we do uh, with our productions is we bring in seasoned professionals. So people who have worked on Broadway and national tours, they're coming from New York and Los Angeles and all over the country, are coming to, to play the leading roles in our shows and often direct and choreograph. And then we do a nationwide college audition search. So we are looking for that next generation, the students who are studying at top music, theater, and dance programs all across the country. And we bring them to Lexington to work with these mentors. And we also involve our local professionals, which is really special to us. So sort of three different genres of artists that are coming together. And we we work in a very condensed amount of time to create these spectacular Broadway caliber productions for everyone in central Kentucky. It's just so much fun, it's so rewarding, and, uh, and we hope to bring a lot to the arts and cultural landscape of Kentucky. I was just sitting here thinking about how there's such a misconception, I feel like, in our area, and specifically in
0: Kentucky, that the, the art scene is not here, so obviously you all are combating that. What's your response to phrases like that?
1: Oh my goodness. The arts are essential. The arts are essential. A lot of, a lot of people, I think, sort of think of it as, you know, it's an extracurricular. It's something that I do, you know, when I have spare time, but the arts and specifically theater and storytelling, of course, that is near and dear to our hearts here, but that is what connects us as humans. It's how we understand each other. It's how we gain perspective and empathy. It's how we come together to share and escape and learn and grow and heal together. And it's just so integral. It's really vital to how we operate as humans, how we operate as a community. And so yes, and and Lexington has a a vibrant cultural scene and a vibrant art scene. We are so proud to be able to bring what we do to that landscape and contribute as as best as we possibly can. Yes. So where are these shows put on? Is it Yeah, so our summer season is at the Lexington Opera House. And then we also have some fun sort of off-site events that we do. We have a great event called Script to Table that we do in the fall. And that is uh, a collaboration with the Culinary Arts and Theatrical Arts. So we do a a production. And then Chef We. Michael has been with us. We've just done one of these. We have another one coming up, but she creates an amazing dinner to go with the meal. And it's all collaborative and, and integrated in terms of, you know, she's basing the dishes off of the lyrics and the text of the show. So we love, you know, being super creative and finding interesting ways to engage and collaborate across different artistic mediums so we have that that happens at um phasic tipton and then our main stage shows happen at the opera house that is such an innovative idea. I'll have to look that up. I think I would love something like that.
0: And I'm sure Oh, it's, it's so
1: much fun. We, we got one in before the pandemic in, uh, in 2019. We did Sondheim on Sondheim and Chef Wida put together an incredible four course dinner. It was amazing.
0: So the Lex has obviously given our community an outlet for creatives and artists. But in your opinion, what is the greatest impact the Lex has had on our community or does have currently?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that we were really excited to bring to the landscape of of Lexington and and the central Kentucky arts community was professional regional musical theater. And so by bringing in these seasoned professionals by kind of raising up this next generation of artists and creating a very professional environment for them to work in. We sort of feel like we were filling a little, a little niche, a little area that people hadn't had here in Lexington before. So we were thrilled to be able to bring our expertise. You know, I I performed on Broadway. My husband um, managed Broadway shows. So we had that sort of interesting skill set and we love Kentucky. This is my hometown. I grew up here and we were excited to bring everything that we learned working on Broadway in New York to Lexington and see how we could use our gifts and our experience to to share, to to help make our community a better place. So we're excited to bring that. And then of course, you know, we're excited um, it's so thrilling, the tourism that is happening here in central Kentucky, and people are excited to come and visit, and we we hope to be a driver of that as well. Folks are coming not just from Kentucky, but from all over to see our shows, and so we're excited to continue that growth and to be part of that. Uh, making, making Kentucky a theatrical destination um, is one of our goals.
0: Isn't that really essentially what community is, is bringing your gifts and talents to the table. And I love that idea that you came back to where you grew up and you're giving back into your community. I just love that. That's so great. But as oh, you absolutely said before, um, masterful storytelling, I saw that on your, in your mission statement, I think, or on your website. And it's a part of your, it's part of your mission. And here at BGCF, we also love hearing and telling stories. So can you share a story from your time at the Lex that has really just showcases your mission and has affected you?
1: Oh my goodness. Keaton and I have to tell you, there are so many stories, and I'm not really sure how to pick just one. Um, Can I I share two things, if that's okay, if we have time? Um, One is, you know, central to our mission is training this next generation of theater artists, and we've had a number of young artists come through our doors and... Then we get to watch them make their Broadway debuts, make their national tour debuts. It's just kind of thrilling. But one very recent um, story about that that is so near and dear to our hearts is uh, Darian Sanders. He is from here in Lexington, and start he was in our very first production we ever did, Concert with the Stars. And at that point, you know, he was he was a, a local. He was in youth or he was in music ministry, and just kind of dipping his toe into the musical theater scene and he kind of kept coming and auditioning he started being in our shows soaking in the whole experience and he's incredibly talented i love that we were able to kind of be there to nurture him and guide him on his way and he is now on the broadway national tour of the lion king and he's playing simba and he got to he got the role of simba as the tour reopened after the pandemic, he was just with us for our concert with the stars in July. And those full circle moments, when you have somebody who's coming in with that talent and ability and drive and work ethic, and we can sort of be there just to walk with them on the journey and help where we can and give them the confidence and the tools, and then to watch Darian and many others like him achieve those dreams, it's just, it's so thrilling. It's so thrilling. So that's that illustrates the one side of our mission. The other thing, Keaton, I have to tell you, my favorite place to be when we're doing shows is standing in the very, very back of the opera house. Because that interchange between the artists on stage and the audience, that's the magic of live theater. That's what I just love about what we do. And the energy, the magnetic... Uh, audience artist reaction that's happening it is just there's nothing like it it's so electric and I just love watching watching what we've put together watching how we've put all these artists together we've collaborated we've created this beautiful show watching it come together and then I love watching our central Kentucky audiences enjoying it and laughing together and crying together and gasping together and and then I always stand in the lobby to greet people as they're exiting. And when I see them come out with either you know, such joy or they've been moved and I can tell they've been crying or, or they just come up to me and they grab my hand and they say, thank you so much for, for doing this it means the world it's that that's what that's what we do it's that shared experience and coming together as a community telling stories and finding our common ground i'm getting goosebumps over here just talking about it but it is just it it, it's just the best it's just the best and we love doing it we love seeing how we can continue to provide that for our community yeah
0: i love how you just said that and as a live theater person myself who enjoys that so much. What I love also about theater is that no matter if you come from a theater background, if you're creative or it doesn't matter, when you come and see a show, it just connects everyone together. And I feel like that's a misconception of theater as well. Like I can't go to a show because I'm not necessarily like theater person or whatever, but when you come, it just
1: connects you together. It's a shared experience and I just love that. Oh, the shared experience, exactly. What I love about live theater is that no performance is ever the same because, because it's fleeting. It's live. It only happens for that two and a half hours. And that group of audience is different every night. And that's what I hope folks who are listening and, and they're thinking about trying live theater or coming to see it, is realizing that the audience is such a part of the show, and the energy that the audience brings really affects what's happening on stage. Of course, we, we, we've memorized and practiced and rehearsed, and we, we, have, we know what we're going to do, but the interchange of energy is what makes the performance different from night to night and what makes it so captivating, and you just know that it is a literal once in a lifetime experience, because never again will that same exact group of human beings be gathered in that same exact room for that same exact show it's it's truly once in a lifetime every single every single time you come and see a show (sighs) i love it we love theater (laughs) so the
0: whole purpose of us talking today is we are coming up on the good giving challenge and i think it's important for people to know why they should give to an organization that's what drives us right the why behind something And so I ask you the question, why should people donate to the Lexington Theater Company?
1: Well, we have, you know, so many elements of our mission. We've been talking a lot about the production side of things, but over the course of the pandemic, we really used the time when we weren't able to gather for these magical live in-person productions to develop our education and outreach programs. And it is a, a wing of our our company that is just flourishing. We have two really exciting signature programs. One is a bilingual web series for children. It's called Adventures in Casa. It's on YouTube and it's being taken into the public schools. Um, As we speak this semester, we just piloted that program. But the whole goal is to share the English and Spanish languages and cultures and to see what we can, the commonalities we can find through the arts while celebrating how we're all special and unique and different. And we also have Story Cycle, which is a free songwriting program for sophomores, juniors, and seniors in high school. And the whole idea is to empower yet again, this next generation of artists in writing the stories that we're going to tell so we're going to train them to perform but we also want to give them the tools so that they can write those songs that are going to be in the next musicals and so these these programs and many other things that we have like them are so vital and so important we've really grown and we need the community support to continue this growth And that being said, this is all happening against the background of this global pandemic that we're still going through. And as everyone knows, the theatrical industry was hit really hard. We haven't been able to do what we normally do, gather together in those those spaces and share those human experiences. We're thrilled to be coming back to that. But we do know that we have You know there's been two years where we haven't gotten to do a summer season and so we are really having to kind of make up ground there so that we can continue to grow the company grow the organization and and continue to be there to provide these outlets this education the outreach and also to provide the live performances where we can all come together and enjoy so community support right now for the arts specifically for performing arts is so needed it's so needed
0: I wanna make sure that you say everything you want to say. So here's your opportunity to say any last words, anything you wanna leave the listeners with, something that I didn't ask you that you would like to say.
1: I feel like a lot of times as um, serious grown-ups, we don't take the time to play. And one of the things that we love uh, helping everybody to do at the Lex is to find that inner artist, to find that inner creativity and to allow themselves time to play. Um, So whether you come and see one of our shows and let that be your outlet, or you want to come and take one of our classes or our coachings or participate in some of our events, but uh, I hope everybody out there gives themselves some time to play.
0: You've inspired me. I'm going to go play after this.
1: (laughs) Go play, go play.
0: (laughs) Give the listeners a shout out about how they can find you, your social media, your website, maybe upcoming events, anything like that.
1: Absolutely. Well, you can find us uh, online at LexingtonTheatreCompany.org. And we're on social media at The Lex Theatre Co., we are gearing up for a couple of really exciting performances. Our 2022 season is about to launch. We have Concert with the Stars coming in January and our 2022 summer season, which is Disney's The Little Mermaid in Chicago this summer. And then, of course, Script to Table with that incredible dinner by Chef and Michael will be coming in November of 2022. So all the details are at the website and follow us on social. And also check out our podcast, Beyond the Fourth Wall, uh, fellow podcaster here um it's uh everywhere you can find podcasts every other thursday and we take you behind the scenes for all the inside scoop as we're putting the season together wow chicago is one of my favorites i'm super excited about that it's gonna be so fun (laughs) well
0: thank you lindy for just being an advocate for the arts and just literally telling how they change a community truly and so i hope our listeners check out everything you are doing and thank
1: you again Thank you so much, Keaton. And thank you to everybody at the Bluegrass Community Foundation and the Good Giving Challenge.
0: Next up on the show, we are excited to invite Amy Brin, the Executive Director and CEO, to share more about the Child Neurology Foundation and the work they are doing to better our community. So hello, Amy. Hi, Keaton.
2: So nice to meet you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Of course. So As we jump in, tell us more about the mission of the Child Neurology Foundation and how that's played out in your programming.
2: Absolutely, so um, the Child Neurology Foundation is, we're actually a national nonprofit that recently relocated to Lexington, Kentucky. The city actually invested in us to come here and set up our headquarters um, as we work with children and families that are living with neurologic conditions in all 50 states. That is about one in five children in our country actually lives with the neurologic conditions in the state of Kentucky. That's about 300,000 children and neurology can be a pretty scary term. So what I mean by that. It can be anything from um, learning disabilities and really common conditions that you hear about in the news like ADHD and autism epilepsy or seizures cerebral palsy all the way to very rare conditions like muscular dystrophy or spinal muscular atrophy. Um, and what our charge is to do, and what we're so excited to be doing here specifically in Kentucky is really we're the voice of um, really 20% of our of our children in advocating for um, them to receive better educational, Um, programming so that their families really understand the disease process and are able to really feel supported in navigating the medical system. We also do a lot of um, individual support programming for these families um, so that they don't feel alone, that they know where to go to for information, that they are prepared when they meet with their physician and have um, to make um, decisions. We also provide Um, what's called peer support, which is a lot of emotional um, support, um, as well as financial services. So um, on an average, these families spend $15,000 a year out of pocket to provide just really necessary care for these children. And so um, we also try to support families in that way. And then we're very privileged that we um, have the opportunity, because we are a national nonprofit, to be the voice of this larger community at the federal and state level. So we do a lot of advocacy to make sure that these children and their families aren't forgotten as policies are being um, enacted that obviously affect their ability to get care in their daily lives. So we're very busy, but we're thrilled to be here in Kentucky.
0: Yeah, so I just want to make sure I got this correct. So this is... The headquarters for the whole entire country is here in Lexington. Yes. Wow. That is very cool. I did not know that.
2: Yes. I know we're pumped. We're super pumped. And literally, Mayor Gordon, um, you know, she's a nurse by training. I'm a nurse by training. And we sat together at a random lunch. And I've lived here for a number of years and have really um, been fortunate to kind of run the organization from here virtually. And you know, we just kind of started a conversation about would Lexington be interested in being our home? And I mean, really the city of Lexington said it's, we are committed to our children and we're going to help you get here. And so we're here, we're in downtown um, Lexington.
0: Wow. That is super cool. So obviously this is such a targeted concept for a nonprofit. So the impact is great. And how have you seen this organization make an impact on, I guess, this community and as a whole?
2: Yeah, so I've been here about seven years and um, I have um, definitely, you know, my, my favorite stories, some of which came during the darkest times of COVID last year. We do a, an example is we do a national needs assessment every year to really guide our work and overwhelmingly what we saw is these families that are typically, they have one caregiver that has um, a job that traditionally then the other caregiver is at home caring for the child and um, they just we saw a lot of job loss a lot of people really struggling financially and we reached out to the community and were able to give a quarter of a million dollars back into the pockets of these families and the stories that came from that were amazing you know we had families that were um, not able to make their medical appointments during covid um, and were able they were thinking they were going to have to move out of their homes and they were able to you know get some rent money. We had families that um, lost some transportation because of COVID. And they were able to use the money to um, uh, purchase uh, wheelchair accessible uh, vans. Um, and so to see that sort of um, in such a grave time that the community really came together and we were able to to provide that financial relief um, gave some hope in a really dark time. Um, mm-hmm. We also see a lot of families, and this this is a different type of impact because this is on a human level, but we see a lot of families that reach out to us and say, we don't have anyone to talk to about this, right? This is, my family is the only one in our church or in our school that has this diagnosis, and we feel really isolated. And as any human knows, if you feel like you're alone in something, that can be so suffocating. And so what we do through our peer support program is when a family contacts the foundation, it's not that they connect, get connected to me or another staff person. But we have on staff a group of, we call them peer support specialists, but these are parents that have walked a similar journey. And so we connect families to other families who've had a similar experience. And yes, can information and education be shared? Absolutely. But the biggest thing we give these families is that they are not alone and we're able to provide them some emotional support. And these relationships then breathe into unbelievable stories. So we had, for example, a father that contacted us who said, you know, my baby is sick. I don't know where to take my baby. And we connected them with another family who helped them know what sort of hospital and program to get their child into. We then followed up with that father a couple months later and he said, you know, My baby's doing better. We've got a good medical team. But now I'm really struggling as a husband. Like, how do I support my wife? She's had to quit her job. She's not sure what her identity is. Um, And so we were able to then match him with a father who's had a similar experience. And so you know, the journey just continues for these families. And we're able to really meet them um, where they're at. And if I could tell one last story um, that I really, really love. This just happened last month. so in our community, 90% of rare disorders have a neurologic component and they start in childhood. And so for many of our families, they go on what we call the diagnostic odyssey, which means they can go, 50% of our families go over three years before they can get the, the accurate diagnosis of what's going on with their child. And they live in this gray, very stressful, ambiguous time where they're constantly searching. They're saying there's something wrong with my child. And medicine just at some point can't keep up with finding out what that diagnosis is. We have so many advances going on in our community with genetic testing, whole genome sequencing. We have new ways to really shorten that to make sure children are being diagnosed appropriately. But unfortunately, insurance hasn't caught up. And sometimes these families, even if the appropriate test is there, they can't pay for that test. So, this year we um, partnered with um, a number of stakeholders and were able to provide free testing for a number of families in our community. And we were able to give six families the accurate diagnosis, and they've been waiting over 10 years. And so, um, you know, the stories that have come in from that you know, have really been um, incredibly humbling, to be honest, because families have said, you know, we're able to now get our kids with the right diagnosis, you can get the right treatment. You're not just like trying things out. They talk about if it's a genetic condition that with the other children in their family, they're able to now understand what's going on with the other children family and make sure they get appropriate treatment early on they're able to think about the future and plan as a family. So um, it, it can be any, the impact here has been everything um, from making sure families are able to stay in their homes to making sure families feel like they're not alone to then recently really being able to help families get the right diagnosis.
0: Wow. I mean, talk about like tangible impact though. what you just described is so that, and I love the concept of you are not alone. And I feel like sometimes that's a need that's such a huge need that is not often met, just realizing I'm not alone. That's such a need for, for the community, what really knits a community together. You've already given us so many reasons to do so, but why should people give to the Child Neurology Foundation to the Good Giving Challenge, which is the whole point of me talking to you today is that the Good Giving Challenge is coming up and we're revving up and we want to showcase these amazing organizations. So why should people, when they're logging on to bggives.org, say, hmm, this one's interesting. I want to give to this one.
2: Um, well, I a couple of reasons, I would say, number one, um, think of the Child Neurology Foundation if you care about children and you want a better tomorrow for children. Your Any gift, any size of gift would go directly into the community. Um, the other thing is I would say is we really try to serve where the greatest need is at the greatest time. And an example of what we're doing here in the state of Kentucky specifically that talks about that is really... We're helping families right now um, who are living in what we call the digital divide. And so what that is, is with you know COVID, we are using telehealth or computers or phones a lot more to connect with medical providers, right? We're trying to limit the exposure of bringing children into clinics to see their physician. Well, that while that has increased a lot of families' ability to see their physicians, so pre-COVID, most families, waited nine weeks to see a child neurologist with the advent of telehealth that's gone down to a week. So that's incredible for most of our families, but a significant portion of families, especially here in Kentucky, they live in what's called the digital divide, meaning they don't have the right equipment or they don't have access to broadband. They don't, they can't access the internet in order to access healthcare. And so it's, it's created a larger divide for them. For $600, I'm just giving you one example. For $600, what we're able to do is give a family all the technology they need, right? Laptop, hotspot. Um, We give them, we pay for their access into broadband and then we provide them technical, we call it technical resource, but that's where we give them one-on-one training and how to use that technology. And also we're able to get a better understanding of their daily life because what we're learning from these families are if they don't have the right technology to access health care they also can't access other things they need to do to live a full life meaning um, because everything's gone virtual there's trouble connecting to jobs there's trouble connecting to community-based services like food shelves um, the school system might be able to give them technology, but only during the school time. So then they lose that ability and children aren't able to access education. So I would also just say to your listeners, if you, if you want that better tomorrow for kids and you're looking to really give to an organization that is at the front lines of meeting where the greatest needs are for children and their families right now, I really hope that you consider the Child Neurology Foundation. We are a good steward of every gift. I can tell you that. It will go right back into the community. And um, we're just also very grateful to be able to be here in Kentucky to really highlight what a what an incredible heartbeat of America, Kentucky is. And we love to be able to tell the country the stories of what Kentucky does for its children. Um, And so our participation in this is just another like latest way that we're kind of given the spotlight over to Kentucky and it's, and it's good people.
0: Wow. I love that as a Kentucky girl born and raised. I love that. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you've done amazing. And we are rounding the end of our time here, but I want to make sure that you give the listeners everything that you want them to know about your organization. So if there's any last words or other information you would like to share, you've already done an amazing job. I just want to make sure you say everything you want to say.
2: Oh, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. And you never know at these short times, I feel like I'm at the mouth talking about one of my favorite subjects, I would say, please think about learning more about us. You can always just Google us at child neurology foundation. Um, also we've got, um, we're on all of the social media. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter to learn some more information. Um, and then the biggest thing is just to also know that, um, even if you just have a question about a a child in your life or you, you think that, um, a child might need a little bit more, just reach out to There's no question that's too small or off-putting. If we don't know the answer, we will connect you um, to the right partner. And um, I think it's just important. I'm a big believer. I've been an advocate for children with special health care needs for over 20 years. And I just believe that we're the adults on the field. And if we don't do a good job of taking care of our children, what's the point? And um, the foundation is here um, as a partner to do so. Yeah. And we're just grateful to be here. So thanks
0: yes thank you so much you know any organization that deals with children always just has such an impact the best stories because children give us such a perspective on life and they're so special to us in our community in kentucky and so thank you amy for doing very tangible good in our community and for making it better for everyone we appreciate it
2: thanks thanks so much for having us
0: I'm here with Leela Salisbury, the Executive Director of the Kentucky Center for Grieving Children and Families. This organization is where children and families are empowered to meaningfully engage with their grief. And I think that is incredibly powerful and I can't wait to learn more about what that entails. So, welcome Leela. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you.
0: Awesome. So, tell us more about the vision and the mission of this organization.
3: Right. You know, one of our our taglines that we use that I think encompasses uh, that says a lot about our center. is is a place where children and families can grieve and grow. Um, I think we are at a moment now, posts or but still in COVID, where I have never seen so many news articles, radio stories, heard people actually talking about grief and death loss in the way that we have over the last year and a half. Um, so. You know, this is something that so many of our kids struggle with. Kentucky ranks number five in the nation in childhood bereavement. And what that means is that by the age of 18, one in 10 kids in our state will have lost either a parent or a sibling. Um, and, you know, those are numbers that are, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at all this data. And every time I say that, I think one in 10, that is huge. You know, if you think about a public school classroom, for example, that's two to three kids in each classroom, you know, and that's just a parent or a sibling loss It doesn't take into account losses of close friends. I know a lot of teenagers, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes in our high schools, and now even in middle schools, we see uh, children dying by suicide, you know, so there there are kids who've experienced all kinds of of losses um, of people who are important to them. And, Until now, there really has not been a place for those kids to gather. So, you know, we came to this, Kentucky is one of only three states left that does not have one of these centers. So I was thrilled to start this. You know, Kentucky was was late to the party uh, with, uh, in terms of providing a a space purely focused on grief support uh, for children, teens, and families. And, And I think as we know from COVID now, you know, the need has never been greater. Um, so it, it, it's an idea that's been a long time in the planning. Uh, and thankfully, there are, you know, hundreds of other of these centers around the country. So we're operating on a, a time-tested uh, organizational model. And I've been so grateful how supportive children's grief centers in other states and other communities have been. They are so excited to see Kentucky kind of joining the ranks of this work that we do, and especially now when it's so needed. Yeah, so
0: grief support is such a crucial thread in the fabric of a community. So can you explain the impact you have seen your specific programming have on children and families?
3: Sure. Sure one of the reasons so we uh, operate grief support groups in uh, eight schools in fayette county currently i have a feeling the growth uh, over the next several months even uh, could could be exponential we're getting a lot of phone calls people from other school districts other places asking about our services so um for our sites in fayette county we offer in-school groups so parents don't have to you know, make special arrangements to take kids somewhere after school or somewhere in the evening. The kids are getting the services right in the schools, Um, and they are, any any child, we're working in two elementaries, three middle schools, and three of our six high schools, Um, and it's to address the loss of an important person, and what our school curriculum really focuses on These are very basic social and emotional learning skills. Um, So, you know, grief comes with a lot of heavy feelings. So, part of, you know, the the groups are there and creating a safe space for kids to figure out okay, what are the feelings that are coming with this grief? It could be anything ranging from sadness, anger, guilt, regret, you know, the whole spectrum of emotions. So having a really safe place, um, you know, with their peers who've experienced similar things and a trained facilitator to say to identify what it is they're feeling and then kind of figure out what to do with those feelings. I think one of the hardest things about grief is grief has its own timeline and its own set of um feelings and and emotions that it's going to bring with it and and you as the griever have very little control over that process and that's scary i mean that's terrible for adults Uh, so think about it for for these kids who are having these feelings that you know they're not sure what they mean they can't control them and then they're in a school setting where they're expected to you know be together remember to do their homework you know not be sad pay attention all of those things. So part of what I want to do too within our schools is just lots of education for our teachers as well. You know, they grieving kids in their classroom aren't wearing a little name tag that say, you know, I'm grieving. That's why I can't pay attention. Or that's why my mind went blank on this test today. Or that is why I seem really angry today. You know, I'm, I'm missing, you know, my person who should still be here. So I think part of it is just creating, um, knowledge and understanding within the schools and our, our community you know how do we, we cradle these little ones and and teens through something that's really tough and, and give them the language to talk about what they're feeling
0: yeah exactly and that's i feel like this is such a thing some people don't even think about or realize that you know we are young people and our children are going through you know and so you just saying that i'm like wow that is such a thing that's not ever really talked about so having a center where these kids can Families Can Go is so, so
3: important, I feel. So
0: actually, speaking of that, is there like a building that you have, a physical building or where do you need to have programming? Right
3: now, um, so we are mobile and doing our services out in the schools. Um, And for right now, because of COVID, uh, we also run um, family and caregiver support groups. So Uh, they can understand, but we're doing those virtually. Uh, What we're trying to do with the caregiver groups is just help them understand when their kids are grieving. Grief comes with all kinds of behaviors, um, some of which look kind of abnormal, unless you're grieving, and then it's totally normal grief behavior. So we wanna also be a resource for the caregivers to say, you know, when is what's happening, you know, with my child, just part of a normal grief journey, or when does that child or teenager need more and different kinds of help? Um, So, so those are, those are virtual. We're we're mobile right now. Um, We're going to be launching for a building site, uh, because obviously that is one of the, the next things in our expansion, having a standalone center in our community. These spaces that other grief centers and other states have are amazing. The buildings are like giant playhouses. Um, they are um, you know, it's very play and recreational and art therapy based. So, you know, we want to have rooms for music therapy. Um, I'm very interested in mindfulness and integrative medicine. So we're working with some practitioners um, to, to that link, you know, where emotions lodge in the body and then activities that kids can do um, to help unpack that and use the body to help them heal. So they're just, there's so many cool things, um, you know, many of which are mobile, but, you know, ideally the, the dream is also to have a site, um, you know, where everybody can, can be together and anybody in the community with that need can come. Of course. Grief
0: is a process. I saw that phrase on your website, which is so yeah. true. And you come alongside those who are going through that process, and sometimes just knowing you're not alone and having support can really be spur healing, you know. So, if you can, I know this is probably difficult, but can you tell us a story that might paint the picture of the work that you do and the impact that it has?
3: Yeah, so I can I can tell you a, a personal uh, story. So the reason I got into this work is my husband died uh, by suicide when my daughter was five, and we were living in Jackson, Mississippi at that time, and our family was all still here in Kentucky, but fortunately one of the things that existed in Jackson was one of these children's grief centers, and so my daughter and I spent several years as part of their family and child programming it was a lifesaver in ways i could go on and on about it was wonderful and after a few years i found myself joking i'm going to move back to kentucky and start one of these centers and about the fifth time i made this joke i realized i was probably serious about it so i went and volunteered with them and it just totally convinced me it, it took many years for this dream to, to come to fruition but what i saw with my daughter Um, you know, how it helped her at that point. And then when we moved back to Kentucky, my mother died suddenly. My daughter was very close to my mother and she was a teenager at this point. So I watched her grieve as a teenager, but without one of these centers. And the grief journey was a hundred times harder and just really terrible for her. And so much of what she would say every day, mom, there's nobody my age who understands. Like, I don't know, Anybody who this has happened to, I can't talk with my friends about this. They don't understand. So it really that was the the moment I realized. Okay, you know, we need that support space here, and it's been wonderful to watch my daughter, who's now 15, come. You know, help me. There's a a on virtual peer-to-peer support group that she and I have trained in that we're going to be starting to offer next year, and just the process of watching her train in that support curriculum, I just, after the first training, I just looked at her face and I was like, there's my daughter, you know, just her face was beaming. And, you know, she said to me, you know, mom, you know, these, I've had people who have helped me through this really hard journey and now I want to be that person for someone else. And I I feel like there are going to be other teenagers and kids who will come out of this journey you know, ready to be there for somebody else. I'm a huge believer in post-traumatic growth um, and resilience. And I think with the right supports, even though, you know, these kids and families are going through some really hard things, there there can be a lot of good on the other side. It was never what you planned or asked for, but there, there still is good. And I think that's what you know, that sense of hope is what I would love our families and, and kids to, to leave our program with.
0: Wow, well, thank you for sharing that, first of all. And I love the concept of you all being a walking example of the impact of such, you know, resources that you had down there and that you're bringing it here. And you're a walking example of the power of that, which is really, really cool. Really cool. Oh. Thank yes. you. Well, the purpose of this conversation really is that we're gearing up for the Good Giving Challenge. Um, right. You're a participating nonprofit. And if I'm correct, this is your first year. Yes,
3: that's right.
0: Awesome. So tell the listeners why people should give to you through the Good Giving Challenge and how their money will be used.
3: Yes. So what I would love to do with the resources from the Good Giving Challenge is expand our programming into out into the community you know, we're catching a lot of students with these eight schools, but of course there there are more young people and kids that are out there who are grieving and have lost somebody. So I would love to start free uh, community programming. We've been talking with Parks and Rec about using some of the, you know, their facilities and sites that are open and accessible um i just you know i want us to be offering as many groups as we could afford to offer i'd look at the the COVID numbers there was a study that came out last week that said for every four COVID deaths one child will lose a parent or a grandparent caregiver and that you know so our our numbers of bereavement in kentucky are already high and i think we're looking at <clears throat> just a tidal wave of additional loss <clears throat> So I I would love to, again, get as many kids and their people in these groups as we can. The very last
0: thing, I just want to make sure that you say everything you want to say about your organization and, and paint the picture that you want to paint. So if there's anything, last words, last thing you want to leave the listeners with, it's up to
3: you. Okay. You know, I just, I, I feel so strongly, you know, that we've needed these services for years. Uh, You know, we've got a couple wonderful college students uh, from UK who were volunteering with us who've experienced loss in their lives. And they both said independently, if I had had a center like this when I was grieving and had my loss, my life would have been very different. Um, So that, you know, just hearing their stories, that motivates me even more. And I feel like now, especially with COVID, this is the moment, you know, I realize we are new, but we have a lot of bandwidth and support of centers from around the country. So I I feel like we're ready just to grow exponentially and, you know, get get our services out there as much as possible.
0: Yeah, well, I know I've enjoyed hearing your story and I hope you grow exponentially as well. Thank you, Leela, for creating the support system for children and families to grieve and grow, as you said. We appreciate your
3: story. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity.
0: All right, everyone, that is it. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you were encouraged by the stories of good happening right here in our community. I definitely know that I am. Make sure you tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. for more good stories and the next installment of the Do Good Radio Hour.